first article episode in a while. I don't think we've done one since what was the last one? <laughs> I don't even remember. Well, we used to do them because we had the well, we had the weekly reporting <laughs> schedule back in the day, and so we needed to sneak in articles when we had like a GEB or an Atlas Shrugged or an Infinite Jest in the queue. That was yeah, that was like our little hack. Whenever we were overwhelmed by reading, we'd just be like, "Let's just do an article this week." <laughs> no, actually, we did one. I we used to do that. We we did one recently. Actually, well, recently meaning like last year. Crony beliefs. Yeah, we did crony beliefs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we did. I can't believe we used to do weekly. That was a little crazy. Should we bring it back? Crazy times. <laughs> I mean, if you did, I could actually see weekly working if you did a book and then an article and you just kept alternating because that still gives you two weeks to read the book. That actually could work. It's just I don't know if the world of articles has like like the article episodes. I'm not saying this one will, but a lot of the article episodes could be like tangent fodder, basically. And then you're alternating yeah. like book episode yeah. with a tangent episode. <laughs> Every episode's a tangent episode. <laughs> the reason I wouldn't want to do weekly anymore is like I read so much less nonfiction now. Mm. And this is just like a harder format to do for fiction. We would have to like pick a very specific fiction vertical like sci-fi and do like a a new sci-fi book and like, you know, what we loved about it each week, but like without spoiling it or something like that's a hard type to do, right? Some of the most fun episodes we've done though in the last year have been some of the fiction ones, like the Rebody Problem I really yeah. liked. Permutation City was like super fun to cover. That was great. We're going to be Flowers for Algernon. Oh yeah, Flowers was, was awesome. Yeah. yeah. We're going to be doing East of Eden. That's coming yeah, up. Yeah, East of Eden. I uh, cracked it open last night, so I started. Nice. Have you already done Logic Comics? No. But I've, I have it. I have it. I have it now. No, East of Eden is just like a longer... Like, I just wanted to read fiction before bed, and I was like, oh, I might as well just start East of Eden. Yeah. I've, I've read it before, but it's my first reread of East of Eden, so yeah. I'm excited for it. I think it. we've all read it, right? I think it'll be the first book so, we're yeah. all doing for the second time. Yeah, I've got to finish. I've got to finish my three body problem reread. I'm halfway through the third book, so I'm almost done. Oh, you've been rereading it. Get into East of Eden. Yeah. How is it the second time? You know, it's interesting. It's like it's not as good as I remember it. Like, which I didn't I expect to myself to stay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it. I I don't know. Like the I, for some reason this time I have less of a patience for the slow sections. Mm. Like. Like Chickson does kind of ramble sometimes and like go off on tangents that don't end up <laughs> leading anywhere or being like that important to the story. And like the, I think the world building makes up for it and the action sections make up for it. But there are definitely parts where I feel like, okay, I can just skip ahead like 10 pages. Yeah. The first read, you don't know which tangents will go nowhere. So you're like wrapped attention. Yeah. Well, and the the way the action picks up can happen like very suddenly where you feel like nothing's happening and then all of a sudden it is. And I kind of realized that I was rereading more for how he does action and like the action scenes than I was for the like whole world building. Mm-hmm. But since I already had like some conception of that in my head. So that could just be like how I'm rereading it. Like that that is the one thing that I am like very impressed by rereading it because I've been reading a lot of like fast paced sci-fi and now rereading Three Body Problem, which is like very slow paced. He can take a scene that 
or you could take like one extended scene and pull it out over like 30 pages. So something that might be 2000 words in another author is like 6,000 for him Mm -hmm. without it feeling slow, which is really impressive. Like if you know, in the, in the second book, when they go to, when like they send a little ship to investigate the droplet, once it arrives in the solar system, like that whole section of them, like getting on the ship and then like taxiing to the droplet and then getting a little backstory on the people who are on the ship and then getting there and then talking about the droplet and opening it up. Like it's very tense because you don't know what's going to happen. Like once they get there, but it's really long. It's like remarkable how long it is. Whereas like most fast paced sci-fi would probably be like two paragraphs, right? Like, you know, they left and then they got there. So that, that aspect of it is really, really impressive. I'm also impressed at how you managed to not get a spoiler in there. That was 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> that was really well done. Yeah. The only part I remember really dragging was in the first book. They're unfolding the proton and oh, yeah, like putting everything the... in it. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like trying, now I'm trying to do what you did so well. And specific. Uh, <laughs> cool. I, I would like to reread it. I, I think I only really want to reread the dark forest. There's just something really romantic about it in my mind. Yeah, the second one's just so good. It, it, the other thing I'm realizing rereading them is like they're all three written so differently. Like the like the, the pacing of the first one versus the second one versus the third one. Like the first one has that like cut back and forth between the past and the present, and then the second one has like a has like a 200 page long chapter with like no chapter breaks, right? Just this like very constant of action. And then the third one has all of these like three and four page chapters. So it's like that, that's something I didn't notice as much the first time, maybe because I read them slower, but I also wonder if some of this is translation based, like, cause it was written not originally in English, right? Yeah. But the, but it being translated wouldn't make, wouldn't make it longer. longer, make the chapters longer yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't mean translated. I mean like almost like culturally, like I wonder how like a Chinese Cultural, novel yeah. is typically, like maybe it's totally. not un, as uncommon with a Chinese novel to to do this, or or maybe it is. I have no yeah, idea. I don't think I've ever written or read a oh. fiction book from like original Chinese to translated to English, other than Three Body Problem. Yeah, same. But today we're talking about fear of oozification. Great title. It is a great title. It's very intriguing. What is oozification? Why should I be scared of it? It's actually a hard concept to describe in like a succinct way, but uh, I mean, I think like maybe talking around it first might might actually be easier. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you have do you have a succinct way of describing it? I, I do not. So it's more of like describing not more succinct than what he offered. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could just I mean, read his definition. It didn't help me until I finished reading. The, like by like as I read the article, I felt like oh now I know what he's talking about. Yeah, should we just read it and yeah. then we can also. Eventually, get so oozification. Yeah. Uh, so there's two essays he has on oozification. One's fear of oozification, and the other one is oozy intelligence and slow time, which I saw somewhere and I just read it after I read this one. So I don't know which of these, which of the two, the definition is from. But oozification is defined as a process that replaces complex systems with simpler ones, increasing the number of evolutionary possibilities. 
And then the longer version of it is oozification is the process of recursively replacing systems based on numerous, larger building blocks governed by many rules, with ones based on fewer, smaller building blocks governed by fewer rules, thereby increasing the number of evolutionary possibilities and lowering the number of evolutionary certainties. So it's more possibilities and less certainties, like less stagnation, more. And the possibilities could be like, good or bad from a human perspective or also irrelevant from a human perspective. Yeah. There's like not as much you can do with like, if you're cooking, if you have bread as an ingredient versus like water, flour, sugar, and eggs, like the latter immediately gives you significantly more permutations of what you can make. Some of the examples from technology, I think help explain the idea better than his definition. Like, the, the example of computers is a good one, right? Where it started as just IBM mainframes, basically. And like, that was it. That's what a computer was. And that was like, it was basically one way to program it and one like physical modality for interacting with a computer. But now a computer can be like one of thousands of things, right? Your phone is a computer, your watch is a computer, your fridge is a computer, you've got your laptops, your desktops, and I've got like your VR goggles and whatnot. Like all of these things are computational devices that do like vastly different things, but they're all derivative from that one original like monolithic version. And so as I understood it, it's like as a type of technology progresses, it breaks out into more and more disparate forms that might capitalize on, enhance, deprioritize different aspects of the original monolithic thing and that diaspora naturally creates greater and greater variance in the like original conception taking it kind of like further away from what we originally thought the thing was and turning it into a near infinite number of things which will eventually have their own like diaspora ooziness in the future yeah the computer to phone one is great because now phone is having its own moment right. right like watches are derivative of phones in a way the rabbit R1 is a derivative of phones. Uh, they probably would not have happened without the first set of... Would you say the Vision Pro is also derivative of phones? Hmm, I haven't used I it. I don't know. Yeah, I'd say it's derivative of a phone. I'd say it's derivative of a phone more than a computer. At least because the Vision Pro seems like primarily a consumption device. Mm. You know? Yeah. I do, like, man, a lot of those videos are both cool and just so sad, <laughs> I find. <laughs> Which ones are the sad ones? Just like the person alone in their apartment, like sitting on the couch, like, oh, look yeah. at all these screens I could have in front of me. It's like, dude, go outside. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think like, so one of the, the ways that at least like the mental model I was using to think about oozification is like the close, the the further you can get to like individual bits, like the the more loosely structured bits you can get to, the more oozy something is. Although there is a counter example he brought up that I definitely want to talk about, like the chemical plant example um, that he brought up as being a reverse, not a reverse, like a little counterintuitive, but in general, right? Like to, to Adil's point, like with bread versus flour and water, I mean, atoms are way more oozy than, you know, steel, for example. Yeah. So like anything you can get down to the loose, you know, the, the, the loosest structure possible is, is more oozy. And then some technologies enable more ooziness, some enable less ooziness. I think like, I mean, just even going back to the very beginning of the article, 
he uses nature as actually a pretty good analogy here that like nature is actually pretty oozy. And like when we think about nature, we're not actually thinking about nature. Like when we think about nature, it's like, oh, go outside and like see this, you know, mountain landscape or this meadow. But that's like a late stage like ecology. So these are all like these these are pretty stable environments. Like there's not actually a whole lot of evolution happening in these environments that we consider nature. They're more like gardens or parks even yeah. though yeah, they're nature, but they're not the evolution part of nature as much whereas that happens more in the when there's a change, so like a catastrophe, you know, like an asteroid hitting earth or an ice age or climate change or some some kind of change in the local terrain would increase the evolutionary possibilities because now you have all these different species trying to find their new niche, basically. I thought that was actually a pretty helpful analogy for trying to understand this because the stagnation and stuff that he talks about later versus the like, I don't know, what would you call the future where like oozification is like like allowed to happen? Remember, he has like the three possibilities, like the end games, like, I actually use the nature analogy as like we can almost build ourselves a park where we just stay in the same place and like, but we're not actually going anywhere or we can have like truly like nature and, you know, you might end up with some extinctions, Mm -hmm. you know, or but you also might end up with something great too at the end. Doesn't he describe it as at the end, he uses the phrase evolutionary big bang and the idea Mm -hmm. is you have like a big bang and then you have a plateau. Yeah. And then from that plateau, you have another big bang and that's where you have things that get very oozified and you have a lot of innovation and chaos and then they kind of plateau again. So like 20, maybe 2016 through 2023 for phones was like a plateau. Like the iPhone six and the iPhone like 13, they're different, but they're not like so different, right? They got rid of the home button. Uh, Whereas like it feels like now we might be in the middle of a yet another like ooze yeah, or like the next MacBook, you know, looks like the old MacBook with the touch bar, you know, gone or whatever. You know, there's like all the different like small yeah. permutations, but they're not really like changing all that much. It actually, yeah. now that you say that, it actually makes me really appreciate what Microsoft was doing with the Surface. Like they were the ones who were making laptops oozier. They were like, oh, the keyboard is separate from the screen. And you also get like a pen and they made it a bit more atomic. Or Samsung doing a little bit more with the... The Andrew, they're uh, the Galaxy phones too than than Apple does. Yeah. yeah. Yep. He also ties the idea of like, did did he call it like prog- progressivism or like progressive progressification? Progressification. Yeah, like the idea that you can make steady, predictable progress towards technological improvement is kind of like the opposite of the oozification idea. And he makes a really interesting point pretty early on that it's most scary the oozification idea is most scary to the people who are working most closely on a on a Mm. problem because it it makes the future illegible to them and i thought that was actually really interesting yeah do we think people are actually like scared about this or is there does this fear of oozification actually exist i i definitely think so i mean i'm not like i think part of this ties to like politics but i think it's a lot of like the reactionism that happens on both sides is tied to tied to this, especially I would say on the conservative side. I just had kind of a hard time with this article, to be honest. Like it, I guess I, I kind of, I can't get past like, what's the point. All right. Mm. Like 
Venkat's written some of my favorite articles on the internet. And he's written some pieces that I think are like way more confusing than they need to be. <laughs> and I felt like this one was one of the confusing ones for me. Like, I guess I just didn't totally understand. Like, like what am I supposed, uh, like how am I supposed to see the world differently? What am I supposed to think after reading this article? Like, is it a way of looking at other people's, fear of the future as a fear of an inability to control and direct the future? Or is it, is it an argument that we just shouldn't try and we should let the natural oozing happen? So I agree that the conclusion is very unclear because I kind of actually, I, I left undecided of how I like, do I agree with him or do I not? Because he's very much on the side of pro usification. And yeah. I think his, so kind of like jumping ahead, but like, like if you think about like just usification and zoom out, it's like usification would remove a lot of the structures or damage a lot of the structures that like the world has put in place, whether it's like geopolitics, whether it's like how people make money, whether it's like, you know, what people like how the whole economy works. Like there's a lot of things that would get damaged by more usification. And his point is let's be pro usification because good things will probably come out of that. And I left actually unsure if that's like a valid premise. Like I, mm -hmm. I was like, well, what if, you know, you just usify, you know, and it's great maybe for on some vector, but not necessarily for human beings. <laughs> um, and like, what are we necessarily optimizing for? Because, hey, like the dinosaurs went extinct and like that was great for humans, probably created a niche where like humans could even, you know, evolve into being and exist, but like not great for the dinosaurs. <laughs> like, I had a different takeaway, but I, I don't know what the macro takeaway is supposed to be. But my like micro as uh, just me through my own eyes takeaway was anything where you might think you have a moat over something that is not yet oozified, you should expect oozification. So if you're running a bank, it's like you should expect the oozified like blockchain, hyper-legible atomic bits of finance to threaten the bank. Uh, if you are running, I don't know, a cell phone company, right? You should expect the oozified version of a phone breaking up into its smaller bits. So whatever is the thing that you're working on, you should work on the next version of it, which will likely be the hidden functions breaking apart into separate functions that are very legible. I, what I thought was actually somewhat interesting was he said it becomes illegible. I disagreed with that. I was like, it becomes more legible. Like a bank is illegible. A blockchain is hyper legible, right? In general, well, it software depends whose perspective like you're looking at it from, right? Like a uh, bank is not necessarily illegible to itself, but the blockchain is illegible in the sense that the bank can't tell the blockchain what to do. <laughs> But that's not what legibility is. Though, yeah, right? legibility is, I guess, clearness of... Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. And a blockchain is as legible as you can get. I feel like my, my, my sort of like fundamental problem with the article is he kind of like states things that I don't think are like very well argued and then just like moves on assuming that he's proven the point, right? So he's like, you know, how and why we fear the ooze why do liberals turn conservative with age and technological change? Why do people with a history of reliable technological instincts suddenly start misreading? Why did Silicon Valley get red pilled in the last decade turning socially conservative? If you look for root causes every single time you'll find some sort of fear of usification at work. 
larger the identity, the greater the fear. But like, <laughs> why? <laughs> right? It's like, and then, you know, a little further on, he expands on one of that and says, for example, Silicon Valley, historically a zone of extremely liberal attitudes towards gender and sexuality, suddenly seems obsessed with traditional masculinity, femininity, and gender roles. It is increasingly rationalized via appeals to narratives mm-hmm. about failing fertility and the threat of wokeism, but it is clear that what's happened is explainable by the ongoing oozification of gender and sexual identity by technological forces. Like, that isn't clear at all. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think that's, like, I, I think there'd be, you yeah. know, five or ten more compelling other reasons you could give besides that there's some new fluidity in gender and sexual identity caused by the internet, especially when like that fluidity has increased and decreased pretty cyclically throughout history. Right. Like it's like a well-documented yeah, that- thing. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like the internet magically made That's some true. people like some men more feminine and now Silicon Valley is like scared and is super into masculinity. Right. There's like way better ways to explain a lot of these things. I feel like he came up with the word and then just wants to like apply it to a bunch of random stuff. Yeah, that like, that one definitely feels like a stretch. I do wonder if you look at Silicon Valley under like a 70-year lens and yeah. there's like a few clear chunks. If at the end of those chunks, I'm not making a point about the sexuality piece, but at the end of each of those chunks, like when things oozify rapidly is when the old guard gets, the old guard uh, is taken off guard. It's caught off guard, right? That would be, yeah. I don't know, every single software company that's getting disrupted by AI stuff right now. Like you just have no idea if you run a SaaS company, is it going to become something that an agent can do in a couple of years or is your company going to be okay? I mean, I, I think that he actually, I feel like I'm becoming a parrot. I feel like I'm saying this every episode now. <laughs> he like, I think he hint, he hints at it towards the end where he says, or like he, he hints at what I, what I think my issue with it is that, a lot of this can be better explained by just like a general fear of change and like, mm-hmm. you know, clinging to a certain reality. Um, <laughs> Nat and so descended. it's like, <laughs> dude, we're just, we're just back at Taoism again. Like <laughs> he said that though. He says, oozification is something of a Buddhist understanding yep. of technological change. Yeah, exactly. So like, why yeah. do we need a new word and a very confusing word, right? Like, all the all the swamps and the the like ooziness is like it like why why so complicated right like it I, I I agree with the fundamental premise I just I don't understand what this like term ooze and all the swamp stuff is like I don't know what's I'm, the I'm, existing term is it I'm just you have periods of stagnation and then you have a period of like a Cambrian explosion followed by extinctions and stagnation and another explosion? I, I guess like, I, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not entirely sure what the, I'm still not a hundred percent sure what the, <laughs> what the idea is point is or what the idea is. I, know, I feel like a deal on the straw dogs episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is good. I like, cause after the straw dogs episode, we said we should have one, dissenter. at least one dissenter every yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll. All right. I'll. I'm. I'm. I'm putting together my frustrations as I as I talk here, and like, I, I think that there is one interesting. I or there, part of the interesting idea is that he's kind of taking a like a, a seeing like a state attitude towards technology, and he hints at that in the subtitle, right? Why certain schemes to progress by the human condition are doomed, yep. right? Like that's based on the seeing like a state subtitle, yep. and like I think he's making a very true point there, which is if we 
if we think about technology as something which we can extrapolate into the future based around certain like linear progressions within the existing frames, like that's not going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like you could try to force it, but you would have to prevent all other innovation from happening in the space. And like, that's where the AI example is good because whatever guardrails or constraints we try to put on like the current LLMs, like there will just naturally be other stuff that happens outside of that, that pushes the technology forward, whether we like it or not. Like the, the Taylor Swift pornography case, like a good example of that, right? Like nobody, nobody wants, or no, I mean like some people obviously do want LLMs trained to make like deep fake pornography, but like broadly societally, we don't want that. We don't want like easy access to it, but it's going to happen anyway. And like that degree of it, like, oozing and developing is sort of inevitable, right? Even though it wouldn't be on the like, you know, Brasilia perfectly planned linear path into the future. So like, like that idea, I definitely agree with. If you don't want to use a new word, then the old word would basically be systems become more composable over time. And something that is more composable leads to all the same runaway effects that he describes here for oozification with the increasing number of evolutionary possibilities. You get more API endpoints so you can build more stuff. Yeah. I'm still not entirely sure what ooze, ooze or oozification is, right? Like, is it is it that, like, simplification in a sense down to, like, smaller and smaller units that can be used in greater and greater ways? Or is it this, like, what's the monster he invokes the Shogoth, right? This sort of like weird, crazy beast that just like spreads out and consumes everything that it touches. Right. Cause those feel like different things. Like which one is the ooze? So like, also this is where I get lost on the swamp invocation because like the swamp, to me, a swamp is something that like absorbs everything that comes into it. And it's sort of this like unstoppable, uncontrollable thing, you know? And so, which actually feels feels more specific to only one of his examples, which is the AI example. Yeah. 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 Because that's the only example where it's less legible. Also, because the agent can can uh, iterate on itself potentially. So, like, it's not a human directed iteration at all. Or it could be. I definitely agree, though, that we we naturally fear the unpredictability of the future. Right. And, you know, in, in technology and everything like that, but what, what is it about oozification that we are more fearful of than just the unpredictability of the future? Actually, I just, the Shogah thing just made me realize, like, it feels like, there's something that feels contradictory here that doesn't really make sense. So the ceaseless process of unbundling and rebundling that is technological creative destruction seems to generally trend towards fewer smaller building blocks, not more. Fewer building blocks, but more possibilities. How does that work? I saw saw a tweet the other day that I feel like counters some of this, which is like most of the internet now is just screenshots from five sites being posted to one of the other five sites. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, it's like you go on Twitter and it's TikToks, and you go on TikToks, and it's like tweets over music. Right. Like then there's a Reddit post thrown in and like, like the internet's actually gotten much more homogenous 
right? And like much more. Yeah, I was talking about this with somebody. Like the GeoCities era. I was talking about this with mm-hmm. someone the other day where it's like, I really miss the era of like, and you still occasionally can find this, but like finding someone's blog and just like yeah. going deep and I don't know, reading like 40 blog posts that this random blog has. Like, it's really hard Dude, to do I that. Was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about that yesterday. And like I, every year I feel more like it's just not for blogging anymore. Hmm. And, you know, and partially because I like, you know, I, I published an article yesterday and then I went to write a tweet about it. And just like the tweets get no engagement, especially if you like the sub stack, but if you like link to anything. And so then it's like, okay, well, I could, you know, post this whole thing over as a tweet, I guess, right? That's what Musk wants us to do now. But I don't think people are going to read a 3000 word tweet. And then like SEO is sort of dead. So there's not much point focusing on SEO unless you're like a brand selling something. Like you can't really put links to articles anywhere else. So like you're just kind of hoping for word of mouth now. Or to get digested into some AI thing that yeah. will synthesize you into a bigger thing. Or you get featured in somebody's newsletter, right? Like that's sort of the thing that you can do now. But it's just like, like to your point, Neil, like that era of the internet and blogging is like gone. And like, I really miss it actually. Know. Like it was so... I mean, especially doing SEO, like when I was in college and like started my blog and doing SEO, I could just like write a post, know it was good, know it was optimized, publish it, and then like not look at anything and be like, okay, in three months, this is going to be like bringing in traffic. It's going to be great. Right. And now it's like, yeah, you're, you're hoping that Substack features you. It's just, it feels lamer. Right. Even, even everybody putting their newsletter onto like Substack or Beehive instead of like, like you don't go to people's sites anymore. Right. Like it, yeah, it's very rare now to do that. Yeah. Is this oozification? Is it the fundamental blocks are so small that you can post everything everywhere? And uh, the big thing that you used to find reliable, which was the the, blogs. the blog, is now broken down to a single piece of content that can exist yeah, anywhere? That, that's a good point. Adele. And this is yeah. a hole in the argument that decentralization is oozification because the blogs were decentralized. Yeah. That was like everybody running their own blog on their own. You know, it wasn't like all in one. It's not very different than everybody having like a Twitter account. Yeah. Well, he's not right. saying decentralization. No, no. We have. We were saying yeah. that. We were oh, saying oh, that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 He didn't say that. Wow. So we just ran into the ooze. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now, now I, I'm the I'm the reactionary conservative who doesn't like all the new tech. Because You're the Silicon Valley, like, yeah. I'm not getting free traffic anymore. Yeah. Tell us about your masculinity, man. <laughs> so fragile, so fragile. <laughs> um, I've been I've been watching Sopranos for the first time, and speaking of blogs, there's a blog called Sopranos Autopsy, which is like so from the era of blogs. Like, you basically. Yeah can click on any episode and they have a long form blog post about that. And there's like all these like hidden things that you, you know, wouldn't have remembered or noticed or like behind the scenes type of stuff. And it's super cool. And I just like that. You're so right. I just like missed that era of the internet where there was all these like random ass sites that like somebody could just make. And I don't know, like now it'd be like a meme account would be the equivalent of this. Yeah. And it's like way less cool. The thing that always comes to mind for that era for me is stumble upon. Yeah. yeah. It was like Reddit before Reddit yep. and stumble upon just makes no sense now. And the things that it has been replaced by functionally do the same thing, but they don't have the magic. Yeah. They definitely don't feel as magical. Yeah. 
really like the dissenter idea. I think we need a dissenter every episode. <laughs> what is dissenter? Uh, dissent. 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 Oh, dissenter. Yeah. Yes, yes. Dissenter. Yeah. This guy that I follow on Twitter, great, great follow for like interesting health stuff. Especially if you're if you're interested in like the repeat things, his handle is just I think it's anabology. Anabology, but he's building this website that's literally just plain text, super simple protocols for like various aspects of life. The idea being that like the internet is like too confusing and spread out and messy and whatever now, and like you know finding information is just such a pain. And so if you can just like take some of the best protocols for different aspects of life and put them into plain text HTML on this site, that's sort of like the superior organization style in like the current very noisy internet world. Dude, I love this actually. <laughs> a very cheap I love it steam so sauna. Much. It's so good. Yeah. Note, I burned the shit out of myself by knocking over. <laughs> <laughs> When I saw that, I was like, wait, there's actually something really compelling here, right? Like recipes yeah. are the worst example of that. You, like go on a recipe on a website and there's 2000 words of their family history before you get to the recipe. <laughs> That's like every recipe. You don't, you don't <laughs> like mm-hmm. the recipe biographies? <laughs> hey, I got paid a lot of money to make those, but I sort of wait, this guy's what, site is awesome. I love this. Yeah, right. It's a cool dude. Cool. He's he's also like Fault. we were talking about this a few episodes ago. Like he's a true scientist mm-hmm. and says that he he read something about how if you're primarily processing simple carbs, it basically just like ramps up your thyroid and you don't really retain weight. Like there needs to be fat in the diet for you to actually like retain weight while on a high carb diet. And so he literally only ate orange juice and honey for like a month and took a couple of vitamins with it and like. He was. He said he was eating like four or five thousand calories a day, and he lost weight. <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, calories are a very flawed like, what the hell? <laughs> uh, metric. Oh yeah, they're a good metric. I, I, I should take that back. They're a good metric in general as like a rule of thumb for for most people, but they're definitely not like it's not as simple as what you know, kind of common knowledge is, which is this is how many calories you burn, this is how many calories you eat, therefore you gain or lose weight just off the basis of that. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like the biggest issue with calories is nobody actually knows how many calories they're burning. Yeah. That's a big part of it too. But it's also like your body is thyroid function and you're really inactive. Like your metabolic rate could be like a third of somebody who's much healthier than you. Yeah. Wow. This guy's awesome. Right. I'm leaving a honey diet right now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Is this what (laughs) led to your, uh, maple syrup coffees? He, he was one of the people who I found who was experimenting with this stuff and having very interesting results. And I was like, I found him and a few other people. And that's what like led me down the, the repeat rabbit hole to just like start messing with this stuff. And it's just like really, really interesting. There's another guy. I'll see. If it's I can also find interesting him. that. So he has like wait his honey diet protocol. It's like waking to 3 PM as many simple sugars as you want, but just no fat, no protein. Yeah. Then you don't eat between three and seven and go to the gym. So you burn off all that blood sugar. And then 7 p.m. you're eating, it looks like, protein at least. Then you have some protein at the end of the day. Oh, wow. He also notes later, never had so few migraines. That's huge. Yeah. 
Dude, migraines really destroy your quality of life. I wonder what else he's found. Wait, so he's making the argument that protein harms your metabolic rate. Uh, yes. Interesting. I think. Yeah. Actually, don't quote me on that. Yeah, well, there's a there's a line he has in the honey diet one, which is honey is not very nutrient dense. Fruits are better, but contain more protein, which is not ideal for the metabolic rate. I think that's in the context, though, of trying to like juice his metabolic rate mm. as much as humanly possible. So it's not necessarily that like protein is harmful, but rather that if your goal is to like induce hypothyroidism or something, then any additional protein and fat beyond what's like baseline necessary is going to like slow that down. And that's probably true. Maybe. Do you know who this guy is? No, he's, I mean, this is the thing is like, I've, I've learned so much interesting stuff from like anonymous Twitter accounts. Dude, this is like the, this is old school internet. This is awesome. Yeah. There, I'm trying to find this other person who I found through him. Who's like literally a mad scientist living in Bulgaria, like injecting tumors in mice and then giving them like crazy combinations of drugs and vitamins to see if he can cure their tumors. I love also, that. we're like way off topic now. Sorry. But no, I'm into it. It's okay. I mean, this is the ooze, right? Like the anonymous Twitter accounts. I well, okay, that's actually kind of an interesting I don't know if it I mean, I actually don't know what fits in. <laughs> it doesn't have to. I was but, just trying to pull it back. <laughs> <laughs> like that that topic, I mean, well, okay, I this maybe this does count. Okay, oh, wait, no, all right. I, I think we can tie this in. Authority and trust are victims of oozification because of the internet. Um, A thousand percent. And I, yeah, I, yeah I, like, I, I think the better way we can describe that without invoking confusing terms is just that, like, because it's so much easier to verify the truth and accuracy of statements and individuals, you no longer need to rely on credentialism and institutional institutionalization institutions to provide the proxies of trust and authority. Hmm. You can independently verify or you can socially verify it there's actually did you guys read eric's new book anthology of Balji? yep yep Balji had a really good point in there that i hadn't framed like this before but i thought was really powerful which was like before airbnb and uber like we thought we needed the state to make hotels and taxis safe but then it turned out there was actually a better system and like peer, you know, true, like on the ground peer review and feedback and quick reporting and technology actually made a arguably safer and more robust process than state regulation did. Right. So like if, if an Uber driver, like say, say you get into an Uber and the driver's drunk, right? Like you can immediately get out, you can call Uber, you can tell them and they can like kick that person off the platform 10 minutes later. Right. And like nobody else is in danger. If a taxi driver is drunk, like they might never get caught. Hmm. Right. It's so like he was making that argument that a lot of these things that we thought we needed the state to like protect us from, we can actually do through businesses and incentives and like apps and things like that, like much better. And like this authority is another good one. Right. Like you might actually be able to get much better health advice from an anonymous guy on Twitter 
than from like whatever GP happens to be at the hospital closest to you. This also lends itself to the fear side of the argument where people are very scared of the oozification of health, health advice. Super. I mean, this feels like one of the big conflicts in society right now is like whether you think the traditional sources of trust and authority should be respected. Right. And like, and it definitely breaks down along like generational lines too. Right? Like I think if you're our parents' generation, you're much more likely to still take trad media seriously than if you're our generation. Yeah. Okay. So this is an example of oozification and the fear. You know, maybe maybe he's so right in that because he also says those closest to a thing are least likely to see it. And we disagreed with all of his tech examples. <laughs> Say more. Like maybe we're just too close to the tech. Maybe that's why we don't like. What was something that we, because I didn't disagree with the tech examples. Like I thought his tech examples were probably correct. Mm, okay. Right. Like in the, in the sense. On you. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I disagreed with his like social commentary. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that was out of left field. <laughs> was actually, I totally forgot about that paragraph because it was so random. Well, and I, I, I don't actually necessarily think he's wrong. I think he's overly complicating it. Yeah. I think I buy that. There's also something else missing here. So he says, here's one way you can tell that oozification is going on. Units of measure start resembling fundamental physics measures. But it also feels like there's abstraction. Like you have oozification when things become increasingly abstracted. Like Nat, you and I were talking about this, how like the AI-assisted programming is just another layer of abstraction, the way Python is a layer of abstraction. Yeah. And that actually gets you further from the fundamental physics measures. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. a contradiction or it's just two different examples, but it's, I think it goes back to the challenge of like, like, and I, I think this goes back to my like fundamental issue with the article of the like overcomplication where it, like some parts of it feel very clear and very agreeable and other parts feel very confusing. And I'm not sure if it's because I'm failing to extrapolate the idea into a new domain or if it's because he's trying to pack too much into one word hmm. because yeah, to the, to the extent that I understand ooze, yeah, it would seem like you're getting farther away from the fundamentals. Like going from, you know, if you were doing IBM mainframe programming, you could probably figure out assembly, right? Like those wouldn't be that different. But if you've been doing all of your coding with chat GPT, going back to assembly would be like fucking impossible. Yeah. You have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I hardly know the React it's telling me what that I is know. doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the JavaScript is hard enough. <laughs> Neil, up, for down, context. On, off. No, thank you. <laughs> for context, we've been using Cursor to write this React native app. And a lot of what I'm writing is more like what I'm editing. And by editing, <laughs> I mean I just run the code given to me. And then if it breaks, I tell ChatGPT to debug it. <laughs> Getting a lot of mileage, though. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, the abstraction thing is a really good point. It also makes you wonder, like, I don't know, 10 years down the road, like how many people will actually know, maybe not 10, 10 might be too short of a period, but X number of years down the road, like, will anyone know how to actually, like, will assemble, like, the machine code layer be just, like, so dead? But, like, some people in the world would need to know about it. Right, but it becomes this yeah, like esoteric kind of like, knowledge, essentially. 
It's going to be like kind of like, uh, yeah. Hmm. I was like American manufacturing where like, we don't know how to build a lot of things anymore. And so like having to hire people from overseas to come over and teach us how to do things that in some cases we invented. Right. And then like outsource. And then there was like nobody in America who knew how to do it anymore. You know what that reminds me of too, is like, you know, there's these, some inventions that like we discover that uh, like artifacts like Damascus steel is like one that yeah, I yeah. always think about Roman Roman concrete. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, we don't know how to make it and yeah, we just know it exists because we found the artifact. Wow. And I wonder, like, I don't know, that probably happens more often than uh, we realize. I think even like we have the, and actually uh, we were talking about this before we started recording, but I'm going to bring up three body problem now. And this probably yeah. is a spoiler, but I'll try to say it without spoiling it. So if you're worried, just maybe stop listening. But but, but come back in like 45 yeah. seconds. Yeah. But, 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 bas- but basically like the idea of what would survive like in the future of human knowledge and like what the best way to transmit that is. Like I think we do have this naive belief that like everything's digitized. Oh, like I'll always be around. Like I uploaded it to the cloud. But I can think I can say this without spoiling like in three body problem, he shows that there's like other technologies that maybe are older, which, um, you know, could be, could be better at preserving knowledge than what we use today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's a spoiler. Yeah. Say yeah. No, no, I was, I, I was going to give more context. I was going to give more context as I was yeah. trying to like say it in a way without <laughs> spoiling it. <laughs> like you guys, you guys saw the thing that came out yesterday, right? The scrolls project. Yeah. Vesuvius project. Mm-hmm. Ah, so cool. So cool. I had had but a yeah, reminder like, on every three months to check the website just to see if it. they had found somebody. Yeah. That's so cool. But that's sort of like what they say about the ancient Phoenicians. Like part of the reason that we might think they don't, part of the reason we might think that they didn't have much like language and culture is just because like all of their stuff was written on like paper. And so it got destroyed and we don't have it. Whereas like the Egyptians, we have all the carvings. Mm-hmm. Everything's like we, ha- we have a much better idea of their history. We're not going to leave much behind from our era besides the steel stamped uh, Bitcoin wallet uh, seed phrases. There we go. <laughs> Dude, actually on that note, something I've been trying to do more of is like not write things down. Like if I need to remember to do a task or need to like, if I need to like remember something, I've been trying to like not recording it because I kind of feel to some extent, like once you put it in something else to remember it for you, then you stop remembering it that's like why i put right? it somewhere else <laughs> i'm not kidding i'm like i want this off my mind <laughs> yeah no I, I think it's something to that too but i yeah. but then i find that i just like leave stuff in my you know task list or whatever and like never mm. get to it yeah right like yeah, I don't know. something you should try is writing it in your palm <laughs> that's interesting high school style <laughs> just- yeah right on your arm <laughs> Well, okay. A better a better example is uh, Gosset and I do like a yearbook, like photo a photo album. Mm. So, like, take our favorite photos from the year and get them printed and put them in a physical photo album. Because, like, you know, we could lose the cloud storage any time, and then all those photos just be gone. Yeah. Um, that's a really great idea because then you, the curation also forces you to actually look at every single one. Like, I have like forty thousand photos in my iPhoto, and I just don't look at any of them. Yeah. So like, what's the point of taking it? Like once in a blue moon, I get a memory and I look at that. Yeah. 
that, that's, that's what I have found to be the best reason to have photos is I have the memory widget on my phone on the home screen. And so it's like every time I open it up, I have a fun memory yep. and that's like great. That's such a nice use for it. I'm going to steal the yearbook idea. I think that's a great idea. You guys do it at the end of each year? Uh, yeah, we were trying to, well, no, we were trying to do it kind of ad hoc and then we just kept falling behind on it. So now we're doing it at the end of each month where we go through and pick our favorite photos from the month. And then print them out. But yeah, it is crazy how many photos we take. Yeah. yeah. It almost makes you like nostalgic for the uh, film era of photos where it was like yeah. Yeah, 24 photos on the roll <laughs> or whatever it was. <laughs> and like and you took it a little more seriously. Yeah. It was like, is this worth taking a picture of like right now? <laughs> yep. We still have backwards compatibility though, which is nice. Like I think a lot about these like Vision Pro spatial videos. You, you can only consume them a particular way. I mean, you could consume them on mm. your phone too, I guess. But there is something nice about the fact like you can print out one of these photos. Yeah. I think maybe the Vision Pro is a bad example, but it feels like a first step in the direction of where you're going to eventually lose that backwards compatibility. Well, I, yeah, especially when people start spending more time in like digital worlds, the photos will be like a, like a non-reference almost, right? Do you see the Solana project called Forever? No, no what's that? what is that? Let me send you guys. Basically, I have no idea how it's sustainable, but basically you store your memories on the blockchain forever for one cent per, per photo. And ostensibly, it sounds like it puts the photo on chain. Like it's not like a pointer to like an AWS thing. Mm. Um, but I haven't, I'm sending you the link right now. It's forever with P-H-O-R-E-V-R. I haven't tried it because I have no idea how it works. So I don't trust it. I mean, this does highlight one thing that I think was really funny with NFTs was like the vast majority of NFTs were just like URLs pointing to images hosted on AWS or something. And the images could just be taken down anytime or like the links could be changed. And then like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) like apes are that way. I I think they still are that way. I think they use IPFS now, which Mm -hmm. is a little better. But it's still just like a URL to an image somewhere. Like with IPFS, like you still need to keep paying though, no? I believe so. Yeah, somebody has yeah. to keep paying. But they might have bought like a turn on you I think it's that that amount of storage is so small mm-hmm. for those like simple JPEGs. They probably just bought like a million years of storage or whatever. I'm sure you could do that. Mm-hmm. But uh there, but then like a few projects actually figured out how to put the bitmaps or whatever on chain so that it was actually like native to the chain. But it's like CryptoPunks and like I think MFers and only a few others actually did it. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's very funny aspect of the NFT craze. It's like you're <laughs> literally it's a $100,000 link to a <laughs> photo on AWS. <laughs> 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 I mean, this forever thing seems a bit more legit than that. <laughs> yeah. Except it's on Solana. Yeah. So, so, so you have to uh, bet that could go down anytime. I love Solana. Sad boy. <laughs> One convert the best <laughs> photos into NFTs coming soon. I'm just I'm just salty because I held my Solana down to you know nine dollars or whatever, and then rode it back up just to sell it forty. Oh, so, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it's, better, it's 
better than selling at 10 at least. Ooh, any other ooze or are we oozed out? I feel like I'm oozed out. I'm just trying to see if there's any other. I will say if anybody hasn't read them, the Gervais principle and the premium mediocre life of oh, my yeah. millennial are classic all time. Great top 10 articles on the internet. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. He's, he is a very good writer. I do sometimes think writers like, and this is, I mean, I, this is not like a dig on, on him, but like sometimes writers do tend to try to get cute with like these articles and try to like bucket stuff into a concept. I did, I, I did find the article, like I wasn't fully dissenting from his idea here. I think like I did, I did disagree with some of his conclusions, but like I, I, I didn't think it was like a, um, wasn't a bad article. It was just like definitely some stuff missing <laughs> in there for sure. No, I, I, yeah, I, I broadly agree with it. I just felt like it was too confusing. Yeah, I did. I think one thing we didn't touch on, which could be interesting to spend a couple seconds on, is the like relationship between like government. We started touching on it with authority, but like govern government and like government structures to oozification. And like Adil, in your notes, you had like technology equals oozification, government equals anti oozification, or like the opposite of oozification. I think there's like definitely something to that. I think going like one step further is certain forms of government are more adaptable to oozification than others like i actually think like like a, a democratic form of government is actually a lot more adaptable to oozification because the the rule like the rules of the game are codified but the the laws themselves are not codified in stone per, in perpetuity like that can change so i thought that was like that would be a more pro oozification form of government i guess um as opposed to like you know i don't know like a and this this is probably an unfair characterization, but I feel like uh, you know, like a, there's there's like all these stories from like Soviet Russia, uh, Soviet Union time when they would like make up production numbers because their their technology like couldn't keep up, so they would like literally make up mm. this is how much bread we produced mm. or whatever, and that's just because they had to hit like quotas. It wasn't loosely organized enough system that they could like adapt with higher prices to a shortage of something. Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I actually meant something different. I think what you're saying is tech enables oozification in domains that it enters, whereas government may or may not do that in a domain that it enters. And I had meant it more like tech broadly oozifies, but a government over time does not oozify. It oh, becomes yeah. like bigger and more monolithic and has fewer uh, evolutionary uh, predispositions. Like government only gets bigger. And then it becomes in the general case, less nimble. Not always. Well, yeah, there's almost a sense in which, like, oozification is what causes large systems to break. Yeah. Right? Like, the, 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 the other thing I've come back to a few times, I don't know if it actually relates or not, but it's the idea of, like, surface area versus volume. Right? Mm. Like, as you as you expand the surface area, right, that that only grows exponentially, but volume grows cubically, and so that's why like you can't drop an elephant, but you can, or like that's why an elephant can't jump, but you can like drop a mouse down a mine shaft. It's like the surface tension is much lower on a mouse, so it'll be fine. It's like as something. Nah, this isn't ooze. This is like something else. I keep wanting to think of like creeping and spreading is mm. what ooze is, right? But I don't think that's really what he means. 
So never mind. Forget that. <laughs> I thought I understood the ooze. And then you started asking questions, and now <laughs> I realized I can't answer them. Uh, I'm going to take this whole article and put it into GPT and see. Ask it, uh, is this clear? Yeah, right. Oh, shit. It said it's not possible. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was mean. Okay, this is a pretty good explanation. Thing. What did you get? I just pasted it in the chat. Oh, cool. I still I feel like there's a better way to describe it than ooze, though. I'm just trying to think. Like one thing that I think of is like fractals, right? It's like as tech develops, we get to zoom in and we realize the triangle is actually made up of like thousands of smaller triangles, right? Hmm. There's like something there, or there's. I mean, the, the evolution example is good because it's like you start with, you know, single cell microorganisms or whatever, and then they start branching out and changing and mutating. And like the more mutation happens, the more unpredictable the future becomes. And there will like naturally be lots of like strange dead ends or new things that happen. I just asked ChatGPT, what's a better existing term to describe this rather than ooze? And I posted the essay, and it gave two ideas. One was the notion of complex adaptive systems in existing literature. Systems are characterized by their ability to evolve and adapt in response to changing environments. They are inherently dynamic, decentralized, and often exhibit emergent properties not predictable from the behavior of individual components. And then the other concept is technological convergence, referring to the synergistic combination and integration of different technologies – I've never heard of either of these words before. Yeah. Did it make them up? <laughs> it's possible. All right. Anything else before we wrap? No, I think that's that. I think our next episode is Logic, Logic Comics. Comics. Let's right. go. Have you guys started? No. It looks beautiful. That's all I know. I just, it is like, beautiful. Through it. Yeah, it's a good looking book. <laughs> It's a great, I mean, it's like, yeah, I also bought the other one we were talking about. What was it? The uh, flat, uh, not Flatland. What was the other one? We were Googling around during. Yeah. Flatland. Flatland. Yeah. It was another graphic novel. Yeah. That one looks really cool too. I'm excited to read it. Yeah. It's another beautiful book. Graphic novels are actually pretty sick. Yeah. I've only read one before, which was Watchmen. Have you Uh, guys read any? I have not. I haven't in a while. I'm trying to remember when I read it. I actually have it right here, but it's incredible. Oh, Watchmen? Yeah. Is that the only one you've read? Mm. Yes. It's a cool format because it's still, it's like a book. It's still a novel. It's not a comic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to read V for Vendetta at some point too. Ooh, I bet that'd be fun. Yeah. And yeah, if someone wants to read ahead, East of Eden is after Logic Comics. So uh, you can always find what we're covering next on the website, madeyouthinkpodcast.com. New, beautiful website by Adil. Mm-hmm. Keep leaving those reviews. Spotify, leave us comments. We love seeing those. Um, Spotify comments are fun. Yeah. 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 You can leave a review anywhere, but the Spotify comments are the only place where you can leave a comment on a specific episode. 
Yeah. You know, you can also customize those questions. So we haven't done that, but we can we can like add whatever questions on an episode by episode basis to that that people can respond That's to. That's kind of nice. Yeah. We should do one for this episode. What's a good question? What, what does oozification mean? What is oozification? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll add it once it's, once it's published. Yeah, because they do one by default, which is just what did you think of the episode? And, yeah. and that's just their default one. But you can add whatever you want. So you can like literally for this episode, we can say what is oozification for another one. You could add whatever, whatever questions you want. It's kind of cool. Love it. All right. See y'all at Logicomics. See y'all at Logicomics.